Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. The rest of you would open your Bibles, please, to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 16. Eric uh, just prayed for us. Um, about our core value evangelism and speaking of evangelism I want to let you know that we're going to have an evangelism training course here at New Life September 23rd Saturday Um, it's going to be a Christianity Explored training class Christianity Explored is a class that we offer here at church fairly regularly and so this class will talk about evangelism in general but also how to lead a Christianity Explored class. If you're thinking, well, I don't want to necessarily do that, don't let that put you off. I'd still love for you to come again and learn more about the task of evangelism. September 24th, excuse me, 23rd, 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. And then a class will be starting on October 12th, and Mary and I, my wife and I, will be leading that class in our home starting Thursday night, October 12th. It's about a seven-week course Excellent course for um, those wanting to know more about the Christian faith, those who maybe are not Christians and are curious, uh, but it's also good for those who are Christians and maybe just want a refresher on the basics of the gospel. Um, Would love to have you join us. If you know people you're talking to in your life who might be interested in something like this, please let them know and invite them to come. October 12, Thursday nights from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. Also, if you're new to the church, um, we're very happy that you've been visiting with us. If you want to get to know a little more about the church or get to know the pastor and his wife, my wife and I are going to be holding a visitor's lunch on September 24th. That's a Sunday, immediately after service. We'll just head over to my house about five minutes from here, and we'll serve lunch and would uh, love to take the time to get to know you better. There is a sign-up sheet for all of these events, as usual, so head out to the Welcome Center and consider what you might uh, sign up for after the service. Well, we are continuing here at New Life our study of the book of Proverbs. And um, I noticed this uh, survey, or actually it was an article in Time Magazine last year, and the headline on the uh, article read like this. It said, why Americans are so angry about everything. And so the article went on to talk about how Americans apparently are angrier now than they used to be. They're angry about school shootings, about taxes, about discrimination, about government. The article cited a survey conducted by NBC of 3,000 adults and found that of those 3,000 adults, half of them report that they feel more angry this year than they did the previous year. CNN did another poll asking the same question and found that 69% of Americans are angry about the way things are going today. Are you feeling angry today? Did you come to church this morning perhaps with some unrest, some anger, some agitation in your heart? Maybe you're not necessarily angry at what's going on in our nation, but it's very common, isn't it, for spouses to be angry at each other, for parents to be angry at children, for children to be angry at kids, for employees to be angry with bosses, for students to be angry with teachers and professors, 
Sometimes we get angry over silly things, like I can't start the weed eater that I just brought back. It's supposed to be repaired. It's supposed to be working. Why won't this thing start? (laughs) Some of you might be angry that Andrew Luck is not going to start the season for the Indianapolis Colts, apparently, in a couple of weeks. Sometimes we get angry even about tiny things, small things, trivial things. And other times we are. We're angry about serious things. We're angry about heavy things. We're still angry because of how we were brought up as a child. We're angry because maybe a parent was taken from us for one reason or another. And we might be angry. Again, as we look at our country and we see events like what took place in Charlottesville a couple of weeks ago, and we look at that and we're filled with anger and rage at the injustice that we perceive. What do you do with your anger? the anger you feel in your heart. It's an important thing because, you know, if you don't deal with your anger and you are angry and you feel that anger, anger can have negative effects on your health. You know, it can increase your blood pressure. I mean, it can make you sick. But anger can also ruin relationships, can alienate people. Anger can end marriages. But anger can also dishonor God. The book of James, chapter 1, says, The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So anger is something that we got to deal with. And isn't it wonderful that in the book of Proverbs, God, just so gracious and kind, gives us this book of Proverbs written centuries ago. It's just amazing, isn't it? You look at the Proverbs, and they're so practical. They're so relevant. Everything that is in the Proverbs still speaks to us today in the year 2017. And many Proverbs deal with this issue of anger. And so I'm just going to read two quick passages, two quick verses to you from Proverbs chapter 16, verses 32 and 33. They seem completely unrelated. I'm going to draw a connection between the two of them uh, a little later. But if you'd please stand for the reading of God's word, I'll read these two short verses. And then, of course, we'll look at a number of other Proverbs that deal with this issue of anger. Proverbs 16, verse 32. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Father, would you by your spirit open our eyes to behold wonderful things in the Proverbs, your book of wisdom for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> well, here we see Proverbs. If you, I did an intro sermon on Proverbs a few weeks ago just explaining what they are. But one of the distinctive elements of a proverb is that it's just, a, it's just like a catchy, snappy little phrase that captures some kind of truth about the way life is. So we shouldn't really look at Proverbs as if it's law. It's not really like the Ten Commandments, thou thou shalt do this or thou shalt not do that. They're pictures of the way life really operates. And they're often stated in very startling ways. And so that's certainly the case here with this verse, chapter 16, verse 32. It gives us this picture of, of a city A city, imagine a city with high walls up around it, well-protected, armed soldiers surrounding the city, on guard, 
watching for those who might come to try to take a city. And then, and then there's this, this one man who comes along and somehow manages to take the city, to overtake it, to get inside the city and to become in control of the city and to subdue those trying to protect the city. It's an amazing picture. How likely is that, that one person could overtake a city? We would look at a person like that and we would say, unbelievable, what a hero that person is. What magnificent strength and intelligence that person must have. We would be very impressed at a guy like that. But what this proverb is saying is that as impressive as that might be, it's not as impressive as somebody who can control his temper. That what's more impressive than one man taking a city, it's someone who has self-control and can rule his spirit. And the implication here is that while winning a battle, like would take place if one man was attacking a city, is a hard thing to do, What's even harder is winning the battle with your own heart. Dealing with the rage and anger that so many of us experience. That's kind of the, the, uh, the, the message of this particular proverb in chapter 16, verse 32. So we're, we're going to stand back and just look at a number of different proverbs that address this issue. And the first thing I want to talk about here is the fact that there is such thing as righteous anger. So not all anger is bad. And so before we get into this, we need to, to talk about this. Most of the Proverbs that deal with anger do deal with unrighteous anger. And I think if we're honest, we'd have to admit that most of the anger that we experience is probably a more sinful kind of anger. But there is such a thing as righteous anger. And, and righteous anger is something that perhaps some of us need to experience a little more. I mean, the fact is, a lot of us don't really want to rock the boat. You know, a lot of us kind of want to take the easy way out. A lot of us just don't want to take the chance that if we express an opinion about things, people won't like us. And so we keep our mouths shut. We want to maintain the peace. But there is a time for righteous anger. And one of the reasons I, I know that this is true, and I can say it with confidence, is because of the life of Jesus. Because Jesus was the most righteous man who ever lived, and yet there were times when he was angry. So, for instance, Mark chapter 3. Maybe you remember this story. <clears throat> Jesus is in uh, the synagogue. There's a man there in the synagogue with a withered hand. And Jesus wants to heal him. His heart goes out to him in compassion. And yet there's these Pharisees standing around, and they're objecting to the fact that Jesus wants to heal the man on the Sabbath. And so following some rule is more important than showing compassion to this person. And here's what it says in Mark 3. Jesus looks around at them with anger. The Son of God, filled with anger in his heart, grieved at their hardness of heart, and he says to the man, stretch out your hand, and, and he heals him. Jesus was angry. There's another example in Mark chapter 10 where people are bringing children to Jesus, and Jesus' disciples come up and say, oh, no, 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 don't bother Jesus with that. Put the, put the, uh, put the children uh, away. And it says this in Mark 10, when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He was angry. He was mad. He said to them, let the children come to me. 
And you might also know the story in John chapter 2 of the money changers in the temple. I mean, it's a very popular story that sometimes we refer to. Jesus goes in the temple and here's people making a profit, people engaging in this monetary exchange, and Jesus drives them out of the temple. Get out of here. Now, it doesn't actually say that he was angry, but it's hard to believe that he wasn't angry as he witnessed uh, this kind of shameless monetary exchange in the house of God. He was angry at that. There is a time, friends, when it's sinful not to be angry. A lack of outrage at moral wrong can be a problem. So how do we know the difference when anger is righteous and, and when it's not? How do we know if the anger that we're feeling is righteous or unrighteous? Well, there's a guy named Robert Jones who's written a good book on anger and, and gives three criteria for when anger is righteous. And the first thing he says is this. Righteous anger must be against actual sin. It is righteous anger is that which reacts to what the scriptures tell us is something offensive to God. That's different than being angry at somebody who just has a different opinion than you do. Someone who doesn't share your view of something and you just don't like it that they're disagreeing with you because you want everybody to agree with you. That's, that's not righteous anger. Righteous anger is you see uh, an a, a defiant, blatant rejection of the word of God. Uh, righteous anger also is not just some kind of you know, feeling of inconvenience. You know, you're sitting down ready to watch the game or take a nap and your son or daughter or wife or husband says, hey, can you come here and help me with something? And you're filled with anger because they're inconveniencing you. That's not righteous anger. That's just anger at being inconvenienced. Here's what it says in Psalm 119, the psalmist says this, hot indignation. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine a stronger word for anger? Hot indignation seizes me. Why? Because of the wicked, because those who forsake the law of God, because of those who disobey, flout, abuse, and reject God's word. That, that's righteous anger, and we ought to experience it when, when, we, when we see it. The second criteria that Jones gives for righteous anger is that it must be focused on God's kingdom, very similar to, to the first criteria. It, it must be driven by an overriding interest in the glory of God and the expansion of his kingdom. And so when you think about how easy we are angered when we're offended personally and how slow we are to get angry when God's honor is offended. Isn't there a huge difference in that? When God's honor is abused, it's just easy to just let it just fall off like water on a duck's back, but boy, if somebody offends us, man, we are right there defending ourselves, full of anger. We're not gonna let anybody get away with that. But if people wanna offend God, yeah, no big deal. Jonathan Edwards says this, if people sought not chiefly their own private and selfish interests, but the glory of God and the common good, then their spirit would be a great deal more stirred up in God's cause than their own. So the third criteria that Jones gives is this, 
Righteous anger is that which is expressed in a godly way. This expressed properly. How many just and righteous causes are undermined because of the way they're expressed, because of the way the anger about them are expressed. It's not that what they're angry about is wrong to be angry about. It's the way they talk about it and the way they communicate. We're going to talk more about that in the second point. But I hope the point here is clear. There is a time for righteous anger. I mean, when you think of 60 million babies aborted in our country since 1973, that ought to make you angry. When you think about people being hated and hurt and discriminated against and even killed because of their skin color, because of their nationality or ethnicity, that ought to make you angry, Christian. When you look across the seas or hear about stories across uh, the pond about Christians in other countries who are simply trying to worship on a Sunday morning and they're taken out of their churches, the buildings are bulldozed and they're thrown in prison or killed or beheaded for their faith. Can you, Christian, watch that and not be angry? There is a time for righteous anger. But in most cases, I'm afraid our anger is actually unrighteous. And so that's really what most of the Proverbs deal with, examples of unrighteous anger. But even before I get into that, just a couple of disclaimers before before I get into this. Um, one is this. I think we've got to be careful about confusing temperament and personality types with unrighteous anger. I mean, the fact is, a lot of us are made differently. We have different personalities. S some of us are really laid back and calm, and then others of us are just, we're more fiery and animated by personality. <laughs> some personalities are quiet. Some personalities are a little louder. When you become a Christian, it's not like your personality disappears. It's not like being a Christian means we're all flattened out so that we have all exactly the same emotional temperament. That's, that's not the point of becoming a, a Christian. Some of us are louder and more animated. Some of us are quieter. And actually that continues throughout our Christian life. But, but there's a difference, though, and a guy named Martin Lloyd-Jones describes it like this. He says, the moment the Holy Spirit enters into a person, that's when a person becomes a Christian, he controls everything in the person's life, including temperament. And so he enables you to function in your own particular individual way through your temperament, the way God made you, the way your personality naturally operates. That's the miracle of redemption. Temperament remains, but temperament no longer controls. It no longer dominates you. You're no longer enslaved to it, is what Lloyd-Jones is saying. So I just want to be sure that we're not saying, well, if somebody just happens to be louder or more animated, they've got a temper problem. No, <laughs> not, not necessarily. And then the second disclaimer that I'd like to say is that <clears throat> we just have to acknowledge that we live in a fallen world, and life in a fallen world can just be frustrating. <laughs> I mean, things just don't 
operate in accordance with our own expectations and desires and preferences. You plan a cookout. You've been planning for weeks for a cookout, and the day finally comes, and it gets rained out. You're in a hurry. You're on the interstate. You're late for an appointment, and the traffic stacks up. I mean, those are those are things that elicit from us a certain amount of just, you know, little irritation, a little frustration. I'm just not sure that that's the same as unrighteous anger. <laughs> I think one way that that can be kept from falling into unrighteous anger, I mean, you're, you're moments away from falling into unrighteous anger, but just the natural response of frustration I don't think is necessarily a sinful thing. But the very next verse, I read to you Proverbs 16.32. Proverbs 16.33 says this. I wonder if there's a connection between the two. 32 has to do with restraining anger. Verse 33 says this. The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Everything that happens is in accordance with God's sovereign providence. Even something as small as rolling a die. That's what that passage is saying. So, yeah, I'm sorry about the cookout, but you know what? God sent that rainstorm. <laughs> and I know it's frustrating to be caught in traffic, but you know what? God sent those cars on that road. He was sovereign over it. And just realizing that can, I think, go a long way to just keeping down the rage and protecting us from falling in to unrighteous anger. But nonetheless, there are examples of unrighteous anger. The first thing I think that we see when anger goes sour, it's when it begins to get turned against people. So Proverbs 19.11 says this, good sense makes one slow to anger and it is his glory to overlook an offense. That word for glory there, actually it's the same word that's used for beautiful in many other places in the Old Testament. It's used to describe beautiful jewels and uh, a beautiful clothing and a beautiful city. And what this passage is saying is that when you're offended by something that someone's done to you and you, in grace, are willing to overlook it, that's a thing of beauty. That's a, that's a gorgeous thing to behold. I mean, it's like seeing a beautiful sunset. It's like looking at a mountain range, seeing someone overlook an offense. It's gorgeous. It's beautiful. The problem very often in these cases is not so much that we're kind of angry at the offense. It's not that we're angry at an injustice. That's what leads to righteous anger. We see something's wrong and we're angry about it. What leads to the problem is when we decide that we need to be the ones who execute the justice. That's where anger begins to move in to unrighteousness. And so here's what Proverbs 20 says. Do not say, I will repay evil. This person did that to me. They're never going to get away with it because I'm going to get them back. Don't say that. Wait for the Lord and he will deliver you. There's a sense in which controlling our anger has a lot to do with knowing that God is a perfect and righteous judge who will one day make everything right and we need to entrust that into his hands. I've had kind of a <clears throat> rocky relationship with one of my sisters. I have two sisters, and one of them we've just had a lot of arguments about. And 
I can't remember the incident in particular, but I was really mad at the one sister, so I was texting my other sister, and I was telling her, you know, I can't believe it. She did this, she said this, she didn't do that, and I was just angry. I was in a rage, and my sister wrote back by text just three words, let it go. <laughs> and it's like, that's just, it's just what I, I needed to hear. Let it go. Let it go. That, that's what it is to, to overlook an offense. And that's a good way to keep anger from controlling you. Well, so when anger is aimed at people, that, that's when it gets unrighteous. But we also see unrighteous anger in the way that it is expressed. So, for instance, sometimes anger is expressed to its fullest extent. Proverbs 29.11, a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. I mean, sometimes we see this in, in sports on the football field or basketball court with coaches and players, you know, a bad call or something, and they're just enraged, and they give full vent to their spirit. Some of you remember Bobby Knight, the coach of Indiana University. I mean, there was a guy who regularly gave full vent to his, to his anger. That, that's anger moving into unrighteousness where there's no restraint whatsoever. It's just the floodgates are open and every bit of rage is unleashed. But another area where anger becomes unrighteous is when it's, when it's, um, when it's let go quickly. So here's Proverbs 14, 17. A man of quick temper acts foolishly and a man of evil devices is hated. The man who just reacts immediately to something. That There's no slow buildup. <laughs> it's just they're going from zero to 60 in like two seconds. Quick temper, and remember, that's in contrast to the verse 32 in chapter 16. It says, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. There's something, it doesn't say that you never get angry, but the slowness to get angry is a good thing. You know, some people will say, those who maybe struggle with this, they'll say, well, you know, I just got to get stuff off my chest, and you know, I just feel so much better when I, when I vent, when I just let off the steam and then it's all done and, and you know, it, it's, it's gone and, and I don't have to deal with it anymore. Or sometimes people will kind of justify this by saying, well, people, you know, at least they know what I think. Well, according to the Proverbs, here's one thing we know about you. If you give full vent to your anger and if you're quick-tempered, and that's you're a fool. You're a fool. That's what both of these passages say it's the, it's the foolish person who acts that way. So we're moving into unrighteous anger in the way that it is expressed. And then we might also see here in the Proverbs why, in particular, some expressions of anger are, are so bad. And we see this in Proverbs 29, 22. It says, a man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. What, what that passage is saying is that an angry person has a way of stirring up strife among the people that, that he's around. I mean, you can see that in a household where there's one angry person. What? Everybody's on edge. Everybody's defensive. Everybody's afraid to say anything or, or do anything. 
And in fact, when you tangle very often, a lot of times others feel the need to defend themselves and so they're yelling and they're angry too. And there's something about an angry person that brings out anger, strife, transgression in others. And it's one of the reasons why we call it unrighteous anger. So how do we deal with this? How do you deal with unrighteous anger? Probably all of us feeling some conviction here uh, about our use of anger. Just three quick things. One, own it. Just acknowledge it. Stop blame shifting. If you've got an anger problem, you're blowing up, you're yelling and screaming at your spouse and your kids and your roommates and your siblings and your parents, stop saying, well, it's, it's because I've had a long day. It's because of stress at work. It, it's always because of something on the outside. The fact is, anger comes from the inside out, not the outside in. First step, just, just own it, just acknowledge that. Admit it, and then the second thing you can do is confess it. You can go to God and you can say, Lord, I'm an angry person. And my anger very often is not righteous. And I need forgiveness. And the promise of the Bible, 1 John 1, 9, is that he who confesses his sin will be forgiven that sin and cleansed from all unrighteousness. God will forgive that sin. So go and confess it. And then go and confess the anger to the people that you've offended. Maybe that's a spouse. Maybe that's a child. Maybe that's a friend. But you can go to them and say, look, you know what? I've, I've been really angry with you. And I've spoken to you in disrespectful ways. I've given full vent to my spirit. And I'm sorry. Confess it. And then thirdly, anticipate it. Because just because you do number one and two doesn't mean it's going to go away. <laughs> uh, there's going to be situations you're going to get into and the anger is going to, it's just going to rise up. I mean, for me, it's just, I, you know, the weed eater illustration is just, that's from my own experience. I can't stand weed eaters. They don't, they never work. I just took one up to Albany and got it fixed and I bring it back and I pull it in and it won't start. That just makes me so, <laughs> makes me so angry. What I have to do is anticipate that and say, all right, look, I, I'm feeling the rage in my heart right now. I'm going to put the weed eater down and I'm going to go in and get some water and check my email. You know, I'm going to do something different. With, withdraw from it. Anticipate it. Okay, look, I get really angry when I deal with weed eaters, so I just got to get ready for that. Or maybe for you, it's like playing games. You don't like losing games. You erupt in rage. So maybe you shouldn't be playing games. <laughs> you know, anticipate it. Look ahead. What is it that really makes me angry? And then proceed with caution uh, into that situation. So own it, confess it, anticipate it. Last thing, that there is a, a gospel anger that we need to consider. There is a gospel anger, and it's this. <clears throat> the call to worship that we read earlier this morning might have kind of jarred you a little bit because it talked about a God who's a God of wrath. And that's just another way of saying that God is an angry God. I mean, God is holy, pure, righteous, flawless in all of his ways. He looks upon the earth, and what does he see? He sees ruthlessness, boastfulness, idolaters, thanklessness, haters of God, it says in Romans. 
Here's God pouring out his blessings abundantly every day upon people who respond by hating him. Friends, that makes God angry. God is simultaneously the most loving person and the most angry person in the universe. He's full of love, but he cannot look at sin and wickedness with indifference. He's angry at it. And if you don't like injustice and evil and wickedness in the world, and I'm sure you don't, then you ought to identify with that and be glad that we have a God who doesn't like evil. God is opposed to evil. And as we think of God being a wrathful God, we we might think to ourselves, well, who can stand before him? And my answer to that question is you can if you're trusting in Jesus. If Jesus is your savior, you've turned to him, you're trusting in him, you don't have to fear the wrath of God because look what it says in Romans. It says this, God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we've now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God, the anger of God. It's one of the essential elements of the cross, that on the cross, Jesus took God's anger upon himself so that when we trust him by faith, what we receive now from God is his love, not his anger, not his wrath. Yeah, sometimes he has to discipline us, but we're not under his wrath. Christian, you're not under the wrath of God. It's like the Hurricane Harvey we've been hearing about in Houston, you know? You know, like a hurricane has an eye in the middle. And sometimes those eyes are like 15 to 20 miles wide. They're huge. The eye of the hurricane. Do you know if you're in the eye of the hurricane, it's perfectly calm? The skies are blue. The breeze is cool. It's perfectly at rest in the eye of the hurricane. Even though around the eye, there's all this wrath. That's kind of like what it is to be in Jesus. Jesus is, uh, God is still a wrathful God, but when you're in Jesus, you're in the eye of the hurricane. You're in a place of peace and safety from God's wrath. And I really think that that is the best way to deal with, with anger. Just knowing, reflecting, remembering, relishing, meditating on the fact that, Christian, God could be angry with you, but he's not because of Jesus He doesn't have wrath for you. He has love for you. So how can you be angry at others and circumstances when we have a God who loves us like this? All right, let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your gospel. God, we, we know we deserve your anger, but hallelujah, what a great gospel. Thank you for freeing us from your condemnation. Thank you that we can say, in Christ, there is no condemnation. Thank you for that. Father, help us, Lord, to manage our spirits, to be angry when it's right, but to repent of our anger when it's wrong. Help us to do that in Jesus' name. Amen.